playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. That was Melania Trump starting off the show. <laughs> Guess we had to jump on that bandwagon a little bit. But welcome back to Bench Dash, episode two of our off-season regimen. My name is Derek, the fantasy wizard, winner of leagues, and my lovely, colorful co-host is Melania. More like Melania Falcon. Am I right? Am I right? Just thought of that just now. We Boom. totally didn't say that before we started <laughs> the pod. No, this was a totally original thought. Uh, wow, there it is. This is your Starting boy off Leo spitting Khaleesi. hot fire. Yep, spitting hot fire, like the like the the dragons of the Khaleesi. So perfect. Perfectly done. I think if you're touting yourself as Leo Khaleesi, I think you need to go ahead and give yourself a lot more titles I, than just Leo Khaleesi. Because in the show, she has like 28 titles. She does. She rolls off. I remember Breaker of Chains. Um, I don't really remember any of the other ones, though, which is like kind of damning since I'm like a self-proclaimed like book fan elitist and I don't remember all her titles. Daenerys Targaryen. Stormborn, Mother of Dragons, Breaker of Chains. Oh, jeez, there's too many. It is like she know. just like starts adding them for anything she does. Yeah, she collects them, Pokemon Go style. Maker of just omelets, so catcher of Charizard. <laughs> it's just like anything she's done. She's like, yeah, no, this is, I have a title now. Charizard or Lamarizard? Lamarizard, the perfect segue. Uh, we still have like even more before we to talk about before we get to yeah, Lamar. So not we'll the save Lamar's art for later in the show. But this is going to be our rankings, our I guess our July rankings pod. Yeah, Pain pre-training camp, extremely tentative. These rankings are going to look really dumb in like a month and a half. Rankings, perfectly said, perfectly yeah. stated. So we'll kick it off with some fantasy news, which has already affected our top fifty, really. And that is Arian Foster has signed with the Miami Dolphins. Wait, are you serious? When did that happen? Uh, today. Shit. And I had this whole... Fresh off the press. I had this whole diatribe on why Jay Ajayi was like an RB1. I'm not ready. We need to start over the pod. Not ready. Scrap it. Scrap it. Scrap the whole thing. That's it. Pod is over. So Foster, on the Dolphins now. So what does this mean for Jay Ajayi? Yeah, yeah, Jay Jaya. Um, I mean, no one really knows is the actual answer. Foster is like 47 years old, extremely injury prone the last few years of his season. But Accurate you know, stat. yeah, but he has the he has like the the pedigree of everything he did before that. He's a huge name, and Jaya is all like untapped potential. We don't actually like know if he's going to be good in a workhorse role if he even if he had it. So the like assumptions flying around the Twitterverse are just that like it's going to be a split backfield because what other assumption can you really make? Yeah, and I think this might end up being a good thing for Ajahi Truthers because we're going to see his ADP drop significantly. And there's really only three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and Arian Foster getting injured. Mm-hmm. He's basically like the mm-hmm. he's basically like the Vila from Harry Potter. They're you know breathtakingly beautiful, puts you in a state of euphoric attraction, hypnotically drawing you in, melting all your worries, and the bam, he kills you. Bam, that's, that seems bam. accurate. 
Yeah, he blows up your fantasy squad, as he did to many last season. I remember the talk going into the draft last year was he's a great value because no one's going to want to draft him due to his injury history. He was going in the fourth or fifth round, and the narrative was like, oh, well, he, he might perform well, but he also might get injured. And I, I feel like this conversation happens every single year with yeah. Arian Foster. He has a talent, but do you have the balls to, to take him in the draft? Well, so when this kind of stuff happens in pre-training camp, pre-pre-season, where we don't really know what any of it means, uh, I try to avoid making a lot of assumptions, try to, to Occam's razor it, if you've ever heard of this. that the Never. So Occam's razor is essentially that uh, the best theory is the one that makes the fewest assumptions or like the most efficient theory, sort of. So you want to avoid sort of building a staircase out of just like assumption on assumption of, well, he's going to come in and, you know, he's good in the passing game. So he's probably going to be a part of the passing game here. And, you know, he's shown this and that leads to that. And you just kind of start piling on. All of a sudden you've talked yourself into Arian Foster as an RB2, which is just it's a dangerous game. It's a dangerous yeah. game. So, like, the, the things that we know that are, like, facts about all this are, like, as factual as we can get. Like, the safest assumptions are uh, Ajayi's ADP will drop. That for sure will happen. Uh, yep. Foster's ADP will rise. Um, Foster is at the end of his career after a big workload and has not been able to stay healthy two seasons in a row. Uh, and Ajayi is at the beginning of his career and potentially has like some upside he is not like a completely like league average running back based off of what we've seen he is like at least a slightly above average exactly based off of just like that like just stop at that because anything after that we don't actually know even just based off of that stuff you kind of i lean towards the person that isn't on like their last legs that because they're probably gonna i would guess even out on ADP right now. Um, Ajayi's ADP is in like the fifth. Foster's is in the ninth. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ajayi drop a couple rounds. Foster comes up a couple rounds. They end up pretty near each other because, again, no one really knows who's going to be doing what. Yep. Um, and I'd rather have Ajayi out of the two. I don't have a problem drafting either of them there, but Ajayi is someone that I draft knowing that he's probably going to help my team more over the course of a season. And Foster is someone that, if I did draft there, I'd be looking to trade him after a couple big games. Yeah, that is something to talk about, actually, because this worked out for a lot of teams last year, is you take Foster knowing that he has a name, and he has put up monster performances in the past, on the hope that he comes in, performs well in the first couple of weeks, and you're able to ransom him basically, and grab something of value that will help you win the league down the line. Because, I mean, based on his injury history, if you just run through what this man has been through, essentially, before he tore his Achilles last year, he tore the groin muscle off of the bone. That Mm -hmm. was in 2015. Then, in 2014, he also pulled his groin, missed some games. Injured his hamstring, missed some games. 2013, suffered a calf strain. Uh, missed a bunch of training camp. I mean, the list goes on and on. You can just pull up his injury history, and it seems like the guy is perpetually injured. He's going into his age 30 season, and he's playing in a position 
where almost nobody has successfully returned from an Achilles tear. Uh, so there's a lot of factors going against Arian Foster. But again, I think, like I said, he has that hypnotic allure of the big name. And in the seventh round, someone is definitely going to hop on that train and take him up, if not before that. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if talk starts to pick up that Arian Foster might, you know, I don't know about take hold of the reins, but he might have a giant part of the Miami offense. Because why else would they sign him, right? That's what people are going to say. Why else would they sign Arian Foster if they're not planning on him being, like, the man in Miami? Yeah, one of the, like, crutch narrative street arguments of, you know, it's, a, it's an assumption. We have no idea. I mean, they they signed him, but it wasn't to a particularly large contract. It was one year. You know, it's for all we know, they're looking at him as, like, an insurance policy, and that's it. You know, we don't know what the Dolphins actually view of Arian Foster. Like, I've seen people talking about, like, well, you know, Aaron Foster is such a high-profile name. They wouldn't bring him in just to be like a backup. It's like we don't, we don't know that. Did you talk to someone in the Dolphins organization and they told you that? And you know they're not lying because apparently coach speak isn't a thing anymore. Like <laughs> no, like it's we don't we don't know that. We have just because he has a big name and he has the like hypnotic allure as you put it. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. So yeah, and I, I'm kind of with you that I think Foster's ADP is going to spiral out of control a little bit and Jai will probably end up with ADP lower than his which is in that case I definitely would prefer Jai. Yeah yeah exactly and that's great news for anyone who just is going to avoid Arian Foster at all costs. Basically somebody will jump on the hype train take him way too early which will only push talent in your direction. Mm-hmm. So I mean you should be rooting for somebody to take Foster in the fourth round or Foster in the fifth round at this point. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, it's about drafting for for value. Like none of our analysis of the situation is really that much about what well, we think this player is going to do this in the offense and this will do that. It's just about like, well, where do we think their ADP lands and what do we think is the better value based off of that? And so that's yeah. that's kind of a good way to view it. Come any draft you have coming up. Yeah, exactly. And so quick news elsewhere in Buffalo. Carlos Williams got suspended for substance abuse, so he'll be out for the first four games of the season. So what do you think this will do to Shady McCoy's ADP overall? I actually feel like it's probably going to go mostly unaffected because this news like went under the radar a little bit. Um, it didn't like blow up on Twitter per this Foster news. Um, so I could see like maybe McCoy's ADP brings him up like, a couple spots like right now his ADP puts him as like a early third rounder maybe he creeps up into the back end of the second um which I'd be fine with because Carlos Williams vultured quite a few touchdowns from McCoy and I would have already guessed that was going to kind of even out this season anyway and now if Williams is missing the first four games and is you know coming into the season already behind in sort of the pecking order um he might be out of the loop completely you know this might be the the shady mccoy show again in which case he is um just becomes even more of a value at his adp even if it does creep up a few spots yeah right now he's running back 12 his adp is which i think you might see it creep up you're probably right in the long run it doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of room to really climb if you look at some of the other guys that are right around his adp right now but he's definitely an intriguing player this year. I know the stigma with LaShawn McCoy has always been, will he stay healthy? And last year, 
for the most part, he was okay. I mean, he had injuries throughout, but he showed that explosiveness that we hadn't really seen in a while from him. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what will happen with this news, if it will boost him up into the second round. I've already seen him starting to go in the mid-second round in some of my mock drafts, so mm-hmm. something to keep an eye on for sure. But he has my eye, that's for sure. And on that terrible note, we mm-hmm. should mm-hmm. move mm-hmm. into our actual rankings, which is the whole point of this pod. Yeah. Touch on our view on some of the players. We have some interesting thoughts and we only did a top 50. We didn't want to go ahead and do a top 200 or anything like that. So we'll keep it within the first four rounds, basically. Yeah, basically the first four rounds with a couple couple bonus picks at the end. But basically the first four rounds of your 12-team draft. Yeah, exactly. So, again, we have to uh, preface this by saying this is our July rankings. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, these will probably change relatively soon we already made one change with the jahi we might make more changes as news comes out but where it stands these are our top 50 and we posted them out on twitter so you can take a look if you'd like um we're only really going to touch upon the main differences we have from overall adp some things that might stand out if you look at our top 50 um and starting right off the bat is lamarzard miller Lamarzard Miller, official name. <laughs> yeah, that one's going to catch on strong. So Lamar Miller, we have him as our number seven overall and our running back four, which is significantly higher than his ADP, about five to six spots higher. Right now his ADP is 16, our RB8, according to Fantasy Pros. So going off of that, we have him about almost nine spots higher. So what do you think of Lamar Miller this year? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I've kind of been a Lamar Miller truther for the last few seasons. Uh, he kind of came into the league with a lot of hype, didn't deliver, um, but mostly for workload reasons. And then he's kind of gained some steam over the last couple seasons. And then last year I was a big fan of what he did with his small sample size. And now here he is going to Houston where he's going to be the guy, you know, three down back, full workload, presumably. It is an assumption, but a relatively safe one based off of what's behind him. Um, And so I really like it. Mar Miller has shown a ton of upside. The only concern really is that multiple coaching staffs decided that he could only handle whatever he averaged, 11 touches a game, which is... A little concerning sort of in a vacuum, but again, we don't know why. That doesn't really affect the fact that Houston signed him to a big contract with no real competition behind him. So you're saying you're not a fan of Alfred Pokemon Blue? I'm a fan of the fact that his name can be a Pokemon pun. I think that's really important. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll just bring him up in every <laughs> podcast from here on out. We're just going to jump on this Pokemon train, yeah. ride it for as long as we can. But yeah, I would agree with you. I think Lamar Miller, he's always been an interesting fantasy prospect just based on the fact that it seems like he passes the eye test when he gets the ball. But like you said, the coaching staff has never really believed that he could handle a full workload for whatever reason. 
So he's never gotten it. End of story there. But Houston goes out, they sign him to a big contract, and the assumption is that they are actually going to utilize him as a workhorse back, and that he'll finally see 20 touches a game. Again, this is all off-season speculation. Mm -hmm. So people are just looking at the competition behind him. They're looking at the numbers that he got in his contract and are putting two and two together and saying, all right, Lamar Miller, he's going to be the workhorse guy. He's finally in a situation where he can excel. He's behind a better offensive line. Everything is pointing towards a huge year. And I'm buying into the hype. I've always bought into the Lamar Miller hype. And it's either going to win me a league or lose me a league this year. But I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in on Lamar Azard. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, reading the tea leaves in this kind of situation. But Houston has wanted to be – they've been a run-heavy team for years, and they tried to be that before Foster went down last year and then were kind of forced to throw because they couldn't find a running game. Uh, but they prioritized signing a running back in the off season. Um, they brought in Brock, but he's not—he he is not a franchise quarterback, and I don't think Houston believes he is either. Um, what? I know, I know. <laughs> um, and they didn't That's like outrageous. They didn't draft any high quarterback either. Uh, they didn't really bring in any sort of secondary receiving talent to complement Nook with. Um, so it's kind of a similar offense to what we were looking at last year, except now with a real running back behind it. So it's everything suggests that it will be very run heavy and Lamar will get a chance to do all of it. So uh, really the concern is how does he hold up to 20 plus touches a game? Um, And that's, I guess it's a concern, but the issue is that every running back has a concern this year. There's no safe running backs. That's kind of how he ends up as an RB four. Yeah, exactly. And he has the added benefit of being a good receiving back, which will only help his fantasy numbers in the long run. So we're talking about standard here, but I think you would have to look at him in an even brighter light if you're in a PPR league. But just looking at some stats, if you're going off of fantasy points per touch, because the argument with Miller was never that he didn't produce, it was that he just didn't get the workload to be a bona fide superstar. He always managed to finish in the RB1 picture, but mm-hmm. it was kind of a sneaky finish. Like You would see a couple of monster games, and then he would have a bunch of subpar weeks. He, he, he was really built off the explosive like 25-30 point game last season. But if we look at fantasy points per game, as I alluded to, there are really only a couple of starting running backs that would be ahead of him, and each of those has an an argument that can be attached to it. So if we start off, we have David Johnson, who leads the way out of projected starting running backs in 2016. Last season, he accumulated 1.29, or almost 1.3, fantasy points per touch. But again, this is based off of incredibly small sample size. We don't know if he'll hold up or he'll produce that same clip throughout an entire season. So that already comes with a caveat. Um, from there, we have Jamal Charles, who's always been an elite talent. So, okay, if Lamar Miller's behind Jamal Charles, I don't think there's any problem with that. Ryan Matthews, who we'll touch on a little bit later, scored at basically a fantasy point a touch last season. And then we have Lamar Miller at .96. So very close to a fantasy point a touch. 
And the argument is that, okay, if he gets 20 touches a game in Houston, I mean, that's essentially 18 to 20 points a game, which would put him in the elite conversation. Yeah, I don't think that is like the the realistic outcome, but it is like a a realistic ceiling, I guess, you know? Like it is it is possible with given the workload we expect and the talent that he has that that could happen. Yeah, and I th- I mean I think he's in a better situation like you mentioned earlier. Houston has always kind of leaned towards the run. They always had Arian Foster, so it made sense. They kind of had that workhorse back to build around. Yeah. Um, but last year, um, we saw DeAndre Hopkins break out completely, took the lead by storm, finished as one of the top wide receivers, will probably continue to be a huge fantasy producer, and will draw a lot of attention in the passing game. So you're talking about, will teams just load up? Because look, you have Brock as a quarterback outside of Nuke. There isn't a lot of talent, although I'm hearing that Jalen Strong is having an incredible offseason, so he mm. might be a name that kind of creeps up on the deep sleeper radar. Yeah. But with a player like DeAndre Hopkins, they can't really just focus in on Lamar Miller, right? They have no. to be weary of him exploding on them because that's what he's known to do. Yeah, this isn't, uh, this isn't the Rams where the offense is the running back and nothing else. Um because if they did stack the box, Brock is competent enough to see, oh, Hopkins is in single coverage or there isn't a safety over the top, and then that that completely burns the defense. Um, so I, I think we'll see teams try that, but I think they'll find that they don't have much success with that. They sort of have to respect the passing game a little bit with a competent quarterback and a potentially elite-level talent in DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if he is an elite talent in a vacuum, but... Given a lot of volume, he can produce elite numbers. Yeah, and that's basically what happened last year. He received a huge amount of volume. And if you look at Miami last year, they didn't really have that threat in the passing game. Jarvis Landry is a slot receiver. Most of his catches come within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and then he just runs with the ball. Uh, the argument or was that Devontae Parker was supposed to be that guy last year, but he was injured at the beginning of the season, never really cut a role into the offense until much later in the season. And Ryan Tannehill can barely throw the ball 15 yards. So yeah. opposing defenses didn't really have to worry about that deep threat. And they were able to kind of key in on Lamar Miller early in the season, which is why I think we saw such abysmal numbers with him right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then somehow he just blew up and ended up in the top 10. So Lamar Miller is an interesting name. We have him a lot higher on our list, and I think that he will produce there. I think we might see his ADP start to creep up as we get closer to the season because if you look at some of the names that are ahead of Lamar Miller right now, we have Devontae Freeman, who I think we will start to see his ADP drop slightly. Yeah. We have Jamal Charles. I think his ADP will actually climb a little bit once news comes out about his health, and it seems like he's healthy. So not much will change there. But then we have guys that are risky picks who we'll touch on in a minute here. David Johnson and Ezekiel Elliott are both ahead of Lamar Miller. And honestly, I feel much more confident drafting a Lamar Miller than I do a David Johnson or 
Ezekiel Elliott yeah. in the first round. I don't know how the ADP has – I guess I do know how it's just hype train, but how people are taking David Johnson, who played well for exactly six games, and Ezekiel Elliott, who has never been in the NFL – have a higher ADP than Lamar Miller, who we've seen be consistently good when he gets a real workload. So I don't, I don't understand it. First round, you don't really want to be taking that huge gamble. I understand the arguments behind taking David Johnson in the first round, taking Ezekiel Elliott, you're trying to hit that home run. Because let's face it, Dallas has the best offensive line in the league. They basically produced a 1,000-yard season out of Darren McFadden mm-hmm. last last year and they've always been able to sustain a workhorse style running back as long as the running back is healthy we saw that with DeMarco Murray so he had he's walking into a good situation and with McFadden already injured the touches will probably be there but still like you just mentioned he has not played an NFL snap he has not gone up against NFL competition yes he has a tape in college Mm -hmm. but we've seen elite-level college backs not transition well. Go to the NFL and just fall flat on their face, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of... Um, I'll kind of beat the dead horse on the the Occam's razor assumption thing, but everything about Ezekiel Elliott's potential is assumptions because we haven't seen him do it against a really talented NFL-level defense to ever, ever at all. Um, and even if this, you know dominant offensive line is opening giant holes for him he can probably mostly take advantage of it but to assume that he will perform at his ceiling which is where he's getting drafted right now as a first rounder is just it's entirely a gamble because his floor is his floor is nothing of his floor is he busts completely yeah and that's not who you want to take at five overall which is where i've seen him go consistently Uh, which is a scary thought. I mean, the talent is there in theory, but like you said, we just we haven't seen it on an NFL stage. The one thing you can say about Ezekiel Elliott is that he's more of a complete running back. If you look at the, the rookie running backs that have been drafted in the first round in recent years, mm-hmm. they always had some aspect of their game that would pull them off of the field, whether it was they can't catch the ball or they can't block. They would only be utilized for certain situations. Now, Ezekiel Elliott, he's always been touted as this complete back. He was probably the best blocking running back in all of college. And he's an explosive runner. And he's decent in the passing game as well. So you're thinking that when you draft Ezekiel Elliott, this has to be the thought process mm-hmm. that is going on right now. You, you draft Ezekiel Elliott, he's going to be this three-down back. Walk into a situation where he's playing behind the best offensive line in the league. Dallas's offense will be fully healthy at the beginning of the year. Romo will be back. Dez will be back running full steam ahead. So the opportunity is attractive, and I get that aspect of it. I just wouldn't feel comfortable because, like you said, he's being drafted at his ceiling. And I'd much rather take somebody like Lamar Miller, who has already shown that he can produce RB1 numbers, yeah. Because you don't want your first-round pick to bust. People saw it last year with C.J. Anderson. They saw it last year with Eddie Lacy, And it just ruined fantasy seasons. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we're not saying that Gazuko Elliott is someone you should avoid. We have him ranked as a, a mid-second rounder. Um, so obviously we see the the upside there for sure. It's just that 
you're drafting him all on his upside. Like, yeah, his upside is higher than Lamar Miller's. It definitely is. But his floor is much lower. And his, his median is we don't we have no idea what his median is. So it's all just you're just gambling on the upside. And there's nothing wrong with trying to hit that home run. But I personally don't spend my first round pick on that because that's kind of what everything you're dealing with is once you get into the second, third, fourth round, the mid rounds. It's all gambling on upside or taking someone that's just floor production and so i'd rather spend my first round pick on someone that has some semblance of a floor ideally a high floor and has high upside not that's you know all upside guys that you could just plug and play and not really have to worry about now the thing with the rookie running back in is is that if he goes in and he struggles a little bit and darren mcfadden is healthy we already saw that darren mcfadden was in a thousand yard rusher last year somehow yeah um, they'll start giving him the touches. Dallas wants to compete this year. So it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen a rookie running back come into the league and struggle. And I think everybody's kind of on this hype train because they watched Todd Gurley come in and light up the league last year. They're thinking, oh, man, I should have drafted Gurley last year, but I didn't. So this year I'm all in on Zeke Elliott, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if we look at some running backs that were picked as high as Ezekiel Elliott, it's not pretty. I mean, if you look at the history, the last running back to be selected in the top five was Trent Richardson, who was selected at three overall in 2012. And where is where is Trent Richardson? That's a legitimate question. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. Last I heard, he was cut by the Raiders. I don't know if he's still <laughs> a free agent. I think he's like on someone's team because it's you know pre-training camp and there's no real roster limit. So he's probably on the back end of someone's roster. But I, just, I, don't, I couldn't tell you who because it doesn't matter. I mean, it's ugly when you go down the list. And that's not to say that no running back that's drafted high will ever produce. Because we saw Gurley, who was drafted fairly high in the top 10 last season, produce. But, I mean, we have guys like C.J. Spiller, who was drafted ninth overall in 2010. That's a top 10 running back pick. And C.J. Spiller has never been a elite talent starting running back. I don't, he's never really been a starting running back outside of one year you could argue that he put up legitimate fantasy numbers yeah he got he couldn't handle the workload he broke down it was and then that was kind of the end of him we don't know that doesn't happen with zeke you know we don't know that once he's getting hit by you know nfl size linebackers and defense that he can stand up to the to the workload that is also a concern yeah and darren mcfadden was drafted in the top five so Dallas has two running backs that were drafted in the top five. He was actually the last running back, or after Trent Richardson, he was the next running back that was drafted in the top five in 2008. And he kind of succumbed to the same thing. He had the talent, but he broke down. So there's a number of factors that can go against Ezekiel Elliott. Either he just flat out busts, he can't perform at the NFL level, he gets injured, or simply he just i mean he has competition from darren mcfadden of all players and i I know a lot of people aren't going to say like oh well darren you have to worry about darren mcfadden but it's a legitimate concern due to the fact that he is a rookie i mean dallas isn't going to give him a long leash no of course not to be the lead guy as soon as he starts to show signs of wear and tear, as soon as he starts to struggle a little bit, then you have a proven commodity, a proven as far as last year goes, that will 
come in and take some of the touches. So yeah, there's I mean, a lot to yeah. It's the the range of outcomes for him is everything. Yeah, it's you know high ceiling potential finishes as the RB one in fantasy, but it's also that he finishes as the last running back. Like we don't. It's it's everything is possible with him. Anything is possible. Exactly. <laughs> uh, just makes him too risky, at least at least for me. Also, uh, Trent Richardson is apparently on the Ravens right now. I, oh, I have no idea. Snap as the as the fourth running back. So Justin Forsett, watch, watch out. out! Yeah, watch out, Justin. You got got Trent Richardson <laughs> nipping at your heels. Woo. I remember last year the talk was that Trent Richardson would come in and be like a compliment to Latavius Murray in Oakland, and that just wow, that did not happen whatsoever. Um, nope. So, Ezekiel Elliott is a lot lower, just to kind of conclude this whole tirade on Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> right. It's not that we hate Ezekiel Elliott, because we have him as 18 overall, which is still the middle of the second round. And if Ezekiel Elliott fell to the second round, I would probably draft him, in all honesty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we still love him. Like, you know, cool your jets, everyone. You know, the upside is high enough that he's worth gambling on at some point. We just don't think that the gamble is... We don't think the juice is worth the squeeze until, you know, mm. the middle of the second round where we have him. The poet Leo Kaliski. Yeah, that's, what is that from? The juice is worth the squeeze. It's from like a... No, just take the credit. You should have stopped right there. Just yeah, take no, the credit. I thought of it. Yep, totally. Me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, we'll move on from Zeke because it's like, we don't, need to, we don't need to harp on him any longer. But to, to touch briefly on David Johnson, because um, we're a little bit lower on him too. We still have him as the end of the first round so we shouldn't yep. have to get as defensive about this but it's you know the the cj anderson jeremy hill problem of yeah he was amazing but it was for six games and everything points to him being able to be you know this huge rb1 with great upside but it's just we don't we don't know and the thing that actually kind of scares me a little bit is the sort of same thing you're talking about with zeke that chris johnson is still there in arizona and he was yep. very productive before he went down, and David Johnson took over, and then he was he played so well they left him in. But again, if David Johnson doesn't start hot, what does it suggest that Chris Johnson has to start eating into his workload? You know, he he was playing great too before he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, it, Jeremy Hill is an apt comparison because he was lighting the league on fire at the end of the 2014 season. That's why he went as a bona fide number one draft pick last year, yeah. the back of the first, right around where David Johnson is slated to go. And he just wasn't able to produce, and he had Gio Bernard nipping at his heels. And like you just mentioned, Chris Johnson is still there. Andre Ellington is still there, even though he's kind of faded into obscurity a little bit. But he is still kind of that gadget back, will probably play in passing down situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get some touches. He probably won't get a lot at this point unless an injury happens. But he still has two guys that have shown that they are starting caliber running backs. I mean, Ellington was the starting running back the year before. Chris Johnson came in, kind of took the job, and then he got hurt, and that opened up the door for David Johnson. So he has two guys that are ready and willing to take the job if he doesn't start off producing at the insane clip that he was producing at last year. Because Arizona runs kind of one of those well-rounded offenses. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they would like to lean on one guy, but they have so much talent that they're going to spread the ball around regardless. Yeah, if David Johnson doesn't start producing at his ceiling, this will turn into a like a timeshare, maybe even a three-headed monster. And that's 
that's kind of a theme with these early running backs that we're trying to avoid because, you know, Gurley, Bell, Peterson, uh, Charles, none of these guys have someone that is a threat to them if they don't immediately produce. Even Lamar Miller, even if he starts off slow, Alfred Blue isn't going to suddenly become a permanent compliment to him for the rest of the season. Like, that's just, it's not going to happen. Alfred Blue showed that he is just so mediocre. Yeah, um, like, <laughs> time and time again. Even like uh, like Doug Martin, like maybe Charles Sims cuts into his load a little bit, but probably not. Um, Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, yeah. yeah. Who's going to, is it Tim, C.J. Spillard couldn't do it last year. Tim Hightower, who's there, like who was on the street until Ingram got hurt. I mean, I feel much more confident about those guys where if they have a couple bad games to start the season, they'll still have their job. You know, Zeke and DJ... Uh, DJ David Johnson, they, they have to start at their ceiling or they're in trouble. Yeah, so in the end, that just makes him a little bit too risky. Now, we still have DJ, DJ, as you put it, uh, at the end of the first round. So he's still a first-round pick in our eyes. And the talent is real. I mean, we saw great things from him. But again, the sample size is also real. So, yeah. I would need to see a little bit more. I mean, if he's sitting there and I'm at the 12-13 turn, I'm definitely thinking about taking him. I probably will take him Yeah, if I mean, I'm for, drafting in the last spot. For context, um, you had him as the 11th overall. I had him as the 17th overall. And then it, it kind of averaged out to 12 just by virtue of all the averages. So I'm sitting here saying, oh, yeah, I'd take Martin and Ingram before him because that's how I ranked him. And you ranked it the other way. So that it kind of gives yeah. you the... The taste. I'm imagining if I was at the 12 and I had to choose between DJ Martin and Ingram. Yeah, I don't think I'd take I don't think I'd take DJ. I think I'd I'd probably actually take Ingram, even though I had Doug Martin high originally. I think Ingram is probably who I would take. Yeah. Running back wise. I mean, if Dez or AJ Green or something was sitting oh, out well, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Dez, AJ, um, I don't know if I originally had Allen Robinson higher, but even if he was there, I'd probably take him instead. Yeah, so. Let's close the uh, DJ discussion right there. Yeah. And move on to, I guess we can briefly touch upon Doug Martin and Mark Ingram because we have them rated a lot higher. And when I say a lot, I mean uh, we have Martin ranked seven spots higher, Ingram significantly higher, almost 10 spots higher than his ADP currently. And it goes back to just we're a little bit more bullish when it comes to running backs especially in the second round, and they don't really have that competition. I would say Martin more than Ingram, because Sims actually has proved that he he looks. In the games where Martin was dinged up a little bit, Sims came in and produced like a starting running back. Mm-hmm. Um, Ingram, I think, is fairly safe. C.J. Spiller, I've never been a believer in C.J. No. Spiller. And Tim Hightower, really... I don't think poses much of a threat to Mark Ingram. So he should be fairly safe in his job barring an injury. And he was putting up insane fantasy numbers, if you look at it, before he got hurt at the end of last year. He kind of flew under the radar a little bit. I don't think Mm -hmm. anyone was really buying the Mark Ingram stock just based on the fact that he does come off as a little bit touchdown dependent. Yeah. But... I mean, he was still putting up a lot of a lot of fantasy points per touch, and he was consistently putting up a lot of fantasy points per touch. Yeah, he had the 
a similar problem that we're sort of talking about with uh, David Johnson and Zeke Elliott, that at the end of the 2014 season, he like went on a tear a little bit, and he had this sort of small like half a season sample size of being really productive, and he had stunk for years before that. So it was kind of like people didn't really know what to think about it. Was it real? And then last year he came out and he was he was great. You know, it was touchdown heavy, but he would still find the yardage to make up for it. It wasn't like a total like Devonte Freeman situation where it was almost all touchdowns. Um, and I think that if Ingram hadn't ended the season hurt, if he'd been around for the fantasy playoffs, um, he'd pro- his ADP would be higher. I think some of it is just recency bias of forgetting what he did early on in the season because he, as someone who owned him going into the fantasy playoffs, it like probably cost me a game to not have Ingram there anymore. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, some recency bias and we'll touch upon that a little bit later when we talk about some other running backs as well, but he was, producing right behind Lamar Miller in terms of fantasy points per touch. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about that a little bit earlier. But basically, 0.93 fantasy points per touch, which is solid. That's more than running backs like, let's see, Gurley, Thomas Rawls, Matt Forte, Le'Veon Bell, C.J. Anderson, DeMarco Murray, LaShawn McCoy. So he was producing at a higher clip in terms of touch base clip than some of the elite running backs in the game. And there's a lot to say about the offense that he's a part of as well. The New Orleans offense, they're pass heavy, but they're going to score a lot of points. Mm-hmm. So he should get a little slice of that pie. That pie. Yeah, it's a weird uh, a weird argument to me that people are so on board the, the Kobe Fleener hype train that he's, you know, because he is better than, than Ben Watson. I don't think that's like a controversial argument but that because he's there the passing game will thrive more but no one is sort of translating that to well then mark ingram is going to have more scoring opportunities um yeah so while like his touchdown numbers will probably regress a little bit i don't think we're going to see like a big drop i think he's still in line for double digit touchdowns if he can stay healthy the full season yeah and this year i don't think he'll have a robinson vulturing his touchdowns so that's true yeah that's even more of an added benefit to Mark Ingram. And he's falling into the third round in a lot of mock drafts. I don't think that will hold up. I think he's great second-round value. And if you get him yeah. in the third, then it's just highway robbery. But like you even mentioned, you would consider taking him at the at the end of the first-round turn if you were in the back of the first round. Yeah, just because if I don't take him, who's sitting there for me at the end of the third round? Um, I mean, we'll get into that as we go down our ranks, but it's... It's a big drop off. You know, part of the reason why we have Ingram and Martin so much higher, too, is because we kind of view that as the end of a tier of running backs. Um, Because after that, there's a bunch of guys that don't have sure workloads or aren't coming off of productive seasons. Um, I feel like we originally didn't really have McCoy in that same group. I'd probably put him in that group now that he's starting the year without Carlos Williams. I think that helps him. Yeah. Uh, But even then, then you get into guys like. Eddie Lacy, no one feels good about drafting him. Uh, <laughs> Devonta Freeman, you know, who... It's, it's so strange to me that, you know, Devonta Freeman basically did the same thing as David Johnson, but because he did it earlier in the season and the league had time to adjust to it, people aren't as hyped on him. You know, the exact same thing could have happened to David Johnson, for all we know. 
Yeah, and we'll find out this season. Yeah, we'll find out. And then it's like, you know, what, Thomas Rawls, who has apparently the worst broken ankle anyone's ever had in the history of ankles. It just it gets into a lot of these, like, guys with bigger question marks. So we kind of value that that tier of guys that feel reliable and that kind of we push them all up into the second round. These guys that are all kind of early third, late second round ADP, we just have higher because the drop-off after that is scary. Yeah, and Devontae Freeman is a good place to go now. It's a perfect transition because we have him 10 spots lower than his ADP. Yeah. Uh, at 26th overall as our RB12. So we still have him as an RB1, but mm-hmm. right at the end. Yeah. So, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one being that his performance over the latter half of the season, in particular the last seven games of the season, it really fell off. Uh, just for numbers' sake, he carried the ball in the last seven games 112 times for 352 yards, which is an average of 3.1 yards per carry which as a starting running back goes, is pretty abysmal. And people are getting on Jeremy Langford, not to diverge too much, but Mm -hmm. the argument against Jeremy Langford is that his yards per carry was only 3.6. Oh, he can't be a starting running back because his yards per carry was only 3.6. And then we have Devontae Freeman, who was the fantasy wonder child for the first part of the season. Yeah. 3.14, and basically what amounts to the last half of the fantasy season. So... There's a lot of concerns with Devontae Freeman. He's a smaller back. The issue of whether the wear and tear just got to him because he started off smoking gun and then basically just fell apart at mm-hmm. the end. I mean, he still put up numbers because he scored some touchdowns. He was still a factor in the receiving game. But I think Atlanta is going to turn to Tevin Coleman to be a bigger part of their offense this year. We've already heard some offseason coach speak saying, oh, we'd like to go ahead and reduce Devontae Freeman's numbers, the amounts of carries that he'll get, because he kind of broke down at the end of the season. So I just don't think the insane volume that he was receiving when Coleman was injured, and then even when Coleman came back because he was fumbling every carry, which probably won't happen again this season. But I think we're going to see more of like a 60-40 type of split with Freeman, which is why we have him a little bit lower. That's not to say that he won't produce, that he'll just completely bust, but I definitely wouldn't feel comfortable drafting him in the first round. I probably wouldn't even feel comfortable drafting him in the second round. No, yeah. it's. I think third round is kind of the, the comfort zone for him, where he's you know either your, your second running back and you have a elite running back and elite wide receiver to pair him with, or you went super running back heavy and he's your your third running back, where if he hurts you, it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, I, we kind of, I think we got a little bit lucky with Devonta Freeman that he blew up when he did, because it could have been the end of the season, and he'd be in that same conversation as David Johnson. Um, and so, I, I Or think even we, higher, really. Or, or even higher, yeah, because he, he was producing even better numbers. Um, so it's, I basically agree with everything you say. I don't, I didn't really trust it while it was happening. You know, if you wanted to go dig through one of our podcasts back from, I remember we did one after the Falcon Saints game on Thursday night. We did one and we were talking about like, don't buy it. This is going to fall off. Sell while you can. Yep. Um, and, and so we it just took a little of, bit longer yeah, to happen. It, it but still you like definitely three or four more off. games, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're, so, we're on the same page of, you know, he is a, like a fine, end-of-the-road RB1, like high-end RB2, but it's 
I don't trust it. I don't trust it. Yeah. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> so who else can we pick apart here in terms of our rankings and how they compare to their ADP currently? I think another big difference was, well, I guess next in line, do you just want to jump into Jonathan Stewart? Let's do it, man. Let's get Jay to the main Stu? event. You know, we've been warming people yeah. up, giving them the, the apps. Woo. Let's give them the main course, man. Let's get into it. Jonathan Stewart. Here it is. I had Your him, guy. I had him ranked uh, 28th overall. I had him as a early third round pick. And honestly, honestly, thinking about it, I might even have him as a, like, end of the second round. I don't know if that's actually true because I don't know who I'd have to bump out of the way to put him there. But that's how, that's how much I think Jonathan Stewart is going to be good this year. You... Hate him. Hate his guts. You wish he was dead. You had him at 46th overall, barely even in the top 50. Like, that's just, like, throwing him, like, a little bit of charity. Like, oh, here you go, 46. Like, well, we'll put yeah. your name on here, but no one believes in you. Just just keep it going. Keep it going. You're rolling right now. Just keep it going, yeah. Rolling, so, rolling, rolling. <laughs> um, and so to, to get into some, some hard numbers instead of just more of a, a love affair with Jonathan Stewart. Which is clearly obvious, but just, continue. Which is clearly obvious. Um so the, I think a lot of the, the problem with Jonathan Stewart is there's a lot of, one, it's a, it's a combination of two different biases. We're going to get into a little bit of psych, psychologies here. Uh, it is primacy bias, which means committing to the first thing you know about, your first perception of something and kind of stubbornly holding on to it. And so most people's first impression of Jonathan Stewart is doesn't produce, gets hurt all the time, doesn't score any touchdowns. Small workload, um, and the recent which is understandable. Which is well, <laughs> it Continue, was. Sorry, I didn't mean it to was pre pre twenty fifteen. You know when D'Angelo Williams's was there, uh, and then the recency bias is still that he gets hurt because he was hurt the the last three games of the twenty fifteen season right during the fantasy playoffs. So if you were riding him, he screwed you. Sort of the same thing we talked about with uh, Mark Ingram. So, but to look at his numbers, and so I did a little a little split using the Rotoviz split app, which is a great little tool I would recommend using. Uh, I split it at week six because he, for those that remember, he got hurt during the preseason. He tweaked his ankle, I believe, is what it was, uh, and he just kind of played through it for the first four weeks of the season. Then they had yep. their bye week, week five, and then he came out healthy in week six. And so his numbers during the first four weeks of the season in standard, in standard scoring, he averaged seven and a half points a game, uh, roughly 15 touches a game. Uh, and the touchdowns, it was like a touchdown. He had one touchdown in those four games. Um, then he goes back, he gets healthy, he comes out. And then through the rest of the season, up until week 14, because week 13 was the last game he played before getting hurt, over nine games, he averaged 14 fantasy points a game almost twice as many um the touches shot up to 20 touches a game uh the touchdowns nearly tripled over that course um and he from that point on if you take those numbers and you extrapolate it over a full season he would have been the third best running back in 2015 now i'm not saying that we should draft him as an rb1 or even treat him as that because that's sort of hypocritical after saying small sample size small sample size and that's what we have here nine games is more than what we have with david johnson and it's more than devonta freeman was good but still it's not a huge sample size but 
considering that he is still the only guy there, Caroline didn't bring in anyone new. The guy behind him is still Camus Artist Pains, who's not, he's not real, he's made up. Um, he's still the guy there. There's always the concern that Cam's going to vulture some touchdowns, but I think the the first four weeks of the season is like the floor of that, the one touchdown in four games. That's four rushing touchdowns over a season. I don't, that's his floor. There's no way he has four touchdowns over the 2016 season, assuming he plays a full season, which I'm sure your point is going to be he's not going to play a full season. But let's let's be nice to the guy and assume he can stay healthy for a full season. Let's not wish injury on him, Derek. Um, yes, well, <laughs> I, to, I mean, to be fair, I have him ranked higher than his ADP, so I don't know what got your panties in a twist uh, about Jonathan Stewart. For this slander that you're throwing out here. But yeah, I have him ranked at 46, which I think is very fair for Jonathan Stewart. That's still in the fourth round. Now, again, you kind of already touched on what I'm going to say. You made my argument for me, <laughs> so there's not much that I really need to do here except well, nod my say head it. and agree. Just say it. We're all thinking it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Basically, <laughs> he just doesn't have the durability. And being a fourth-round running back, I think, is right where he belongs because he does put up the numbers when he's healthy. I think, I, I mean, I would have no problem taking him in the fourth round. Even in the back of the third, I might consider him based on how my draft had gone. But the durability issues are real. He's basically missed 23 games over the past four seasons, which is a hefty number, almost six per season. Last year, you just touched on that he missed the fantasy playoffs completely. So if you had Jonathan Stewart, you didn't have him for the playoffs because he got hurt and he got hurt again in the Super Bowl. So the health issue is a real concern. The production and the fact that he's on the Carolina Panthers and they, they run the ball frequently, they have Cam Newton to basically take the focus off of Jonathan Stewart. There's a lot of things to like about his situation, and that is why I have him in my top 50. Uh, I think you're just offended that I don't have him as high as you do at 20... What did you have him at? 28. 28th overall. 28th overall. 20, 28th Woo! overall. So you um, have Jonathan Stewart ahead of guys like... Well, I mean, let's just go down the list here. You have Jonathan Stewart ahead of Demarius Targaryen, Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Sammy Watkins, Randall yeah. Cobbs, yeah. Tommy Rawls, yeah. Matt Forte, yeah. Carlos Hyde, I don't have a problem there. Uh TY Hilton. Yeah. Julian Edelman. Yeah. Tay Train Murray. Tay Train is like, yeah, I have him higher than Tay Train, but he is like I like I would honestly I think I'd probably have Tay Train higher than this, even. Like I'd actually probably take Tay ahead of Rawls and Forte and Hyde, because uh, I'm like getting more and more enamored with his situation. Um, so your rankings are faulty. That's what you're telling me. They're a week old, is what I'm telling you. And I basically just to, wasted to an hour talking about <laughs> faulty rankings, wasting everybody's time because we know that there are at least a thousand listeners right now, if not a thousand. More. Point is, I would take Stewart over all those people, and honestly. Looking at these, I'd probably take him higher than some of the people I have before him. I'd take him higher than Evans, who we have before him, Devonta, Lacey, Gronk. I'd take Stewart ahead of all those people, actually. So 24th. Yeah, I'd take him. In theory, I think he is the 24th best option in the fantasy draft. Now, best, I don't mean Ooh. that he's the best player, but I mean the combination of his situation and talent and recent production 
leads me to saying that he is the 24th person I would draft. And you'll yes. probably get him there because nobody else is going to be crazy enough to draft him that high. <laughs> well, see, so you will have Jonathan Stewart on all of your squads <laughs> next year. I mean, I probably will. But the, the, sort of, the point here that's good to bring up that you have hit on is that to manage how you like a person versus how the community likes a person, which is why our, our rankings have this versus ADP column. Just because I have him as like a, apparently someone I would take at the end of the second round, um, I would never actually draft him there because his ADP has him in the fifth round. That's a complete waste of equity. That's, when you see that, when you see I like this person as a second, third rounder, and their ADP has him in the fifth, that's just like that is value. That means that you can wait to take a running back knowing that he'll be there in the fourth round. So you're ranking it is it is fair because realistically that is where I have been drafting him in every mock is the fourth round. Um, but when I do it, I'm not like, good, I'm getting fair value for Jonathan Stewart. I'm like, good, I am getting positive value for him. I am getting a steal when I take him in the fourth, someone that where if he if his ADP was the end of the second, I'd take him, but I'd be like, all right, I guess I'm I guess I'm in on him. But the good news is I don't have to do it that I can I can make this claim, but I never have to actually back it up because his ADP is so much lower. Yeah, this this whole rankings thing is all a ruse for me because I plan on <laughs> swooping him in the third round just to spite you now. I mean, I would even, if the if the board fell in such a way, I would take him in the third round. Uh, I just don't know how that would have to happen. That he, that is, I'm sitting there in the third round and I'm like, you know what? I got to take Jonathan Stewart. I don't know how that happens, but if, it's, if it happened, I'd do it. Maybe if there's a huge run on running backs, everyone is kind of throwing this whole zero running back draft strategy away and just goes heavy on running backs in the first couple rounds and he's the only thing left in the third then yeah you might have to uh take him i guess so so it sounds like i won the argument is kind of what we're saying but we should probably move I'll on i'll give it already to you. coming up we're already coming up on near the hour mark of this pod and we still have uh at least one more guy to talk about i'll let you i'll let you spearhead this since i just like steamrolled you through the jonathan stewart Debacle. Yeah, I'm only giving the argument because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. <laughs> so I'm just going to drop it for now. Good, good, good. But good. another person we had, oh, in this case, way higher than their current ADP is John Smokey Brown. Mm-hmm. We have at 48 overall, um, which is <laughs> significantly higher than his current ADP. Uh, 25 spots higher than his current ADP. So apparently Bench Stash is all in on John Brown. And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure why his ADP is so low, considering not only the talent, but how well he did last season. Um, As far as his situation, I understand the arguments against John Brown. Michael Floyd is there. Larry Fitzgerald is there. They're going to lean heavily on David Johnson. There's too many mouths to feed. But when you look at the three wide receivers in Arizona, and they're a powerful offense. So generally when you're talking about a powerful offense, you're trying to get a slice. Whatever piece of the offense you can get. We've heard this argument for years with New England, with New Orleans. If you can get one of their wide receivers, then do it. And John Brown, I think out of the three... He is the only one that can still show improvement in his game. Larry Fitzgerald is a known commodity. Michael Floyd is, for the most part, a known commodity. But John Brown seems to be improving year by year. He's still young. And if we look at the overall split in terms of target shares, 
Uh, Larry Fitzgerald finished number one. I don't think that will surprise anybody. But what I want to key on is the red zone targets, which I think are important when you're looking at fantasy wide receivers. Are they going to get the opportunity to catch the ball when their team is in the red zone? And then the splits were a lot more even with Fitzgerald and Brown. Fitzgerald received 23% of the red zone target shares, and John Brown received 20% of the red zone target shares. And Fitzgerald finished with eight touchdowns, and John Brown finished with seven touchdowns in terms of coming out of the red zone. So I think that's an indication of the comfortability with Carson Palmer there a little bit. I mean, that's the end yeah. of my argument, really. I just no, I, I mean, like the offense. That's it. Yeah, I'm with you, too. Uh, this one is a little less exciting because I agree with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> There'll but, be no yeah. fireworks on this one, right? There's no fireworks on this one. Uh, some nice numbers on Larry Fitzgerald uh, that I don't see why this trend would suddenly change next season. Uh, last season, he, through the first eight weeks of the season, right before their week nine bye, he averaged 14 standard fantasy points per game. Um, that was mostly in touchdowns, too. He was averaging almost a touchdown a game during that span. Right, yeah. Then he goes into the bye, comes out, drops to 7.8 fantasy points a game, averaging that. Um, and his targets actually went up. He went up from 8.75 targets a game to 9.5. Um, his reception stayed at essentially the exact same number. But his yards dropped a little bit. He's being used downfield less. Um, and the touchdowns took a, a big hit. He went to averaging about one every four games. Um, and so that's some of that was he started hot. There was that comfortability with Carson Palmer. And then that kind of fell off as he slowed down. We've seen this a lot with also Steve Smith is a good example. One of these older receivers who's a veteran and knows how to play the game but just can't. Their legs aren't fresh for a full season. Even with the even with the bye week, they still just kind of fall off. And then the younger pieces, after they've sort of shaken off the the early season nerves, they step up and the the workload shifts. You know, his red zone targets, as you mentioned, just they dropped off because he was no longer the the person that Carson was most confident in. And of the of the three people, so even if you remove Larry Fitzgerald, because I don't think that's even really. The big argument, people are sort of like, well, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is going to get his as the sort of, like, short yardage possession guy. Yeah. But who's the more, like, who's the downfield, like, main target? Is it Michael Floyd or is it John Brown? And for some reason, the fantasy community has decided it's Michael Floyd. With his ADP in the fifth round, John Brown's is in the seventh, and there's, like, a pretty wide split. Like, I don't know how everyone landed on Michael Floyd when, well, he was productive at the end of the last season. It was, again... A small sample size. He had been fairly unproductive for multiple seasons before that. Um, it's just kind of the production fell Michael Floyd's way, but I don't think that is indicative of who is more talented, who necessarily the coaching staff or Carlson Palmer likes more. I think that a lot of this sort of the production fell that way because of game flow and because of the way defenses schemed because Michael Floyd had been nothing before that point. And so he got the the worst of the secondary and he fed off of that. And then the coaching staff just kind of fed into that and it, and it kept going. And Michael Floyd became a focal point of the offense. After a full offseason, there's nothing guaranteed. That's how they actually want their offense to run. You know, everything on tape suggests that John Brown is just the better player. And I... When he is cheaper, 
and there is nothing that tells us that Michael Floyd is actually going to have a bigger role, I'd rather bet on the cheaper guy who I believe has more talent. Yeah, and back to your earlier point about Jonathan Stewart, we have John Brown ranked at 48, which would put him at the end of the fourth round. I don't think we would draft him there. No. These rankings are basically who we think are going to be maybe the top 50 fantasy producers outside of the quarterback position, and we haven't really touched on why we don't have any quarterbacks in the top 50 yet, which we will probably end the show with. But John Brown, just to add some numbers to the pot, uh, last year he finished as wide receiver 21, so he's a wide receiver too. Uh, But he's going as the 32nd wide receiver off the board this season. Mm -hmm. So there are guys like... You know, Jordan Matthews and Emmanuel Sanders, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd. Um, well, the list goes on. Golden Tate, Jeremy Macklin, and there are arguments to be made for all of these receivers. But we've seen John Brown produce wide receiver two numbers. And I think you can call it a gut feeling, but just based on how he was performing at the end of last year, based on the offense, And based on the fact that he probably has the most upside, I think John Brown is going to have a fantastic year, which is why he's he's in the top fifty for me. Yeah, I mean I use the same logic. Yeah, and he has become apparently the the Ben Stash poster boy for value. Um, It could apparently. Yeah, it could be Jonathan Stewart if he didn't like hate old people. But here we are. Uh, Moving on, yeah, ageist. As we attempt to wrap up this pod, we have so we have two two directions we can go here. We need to address why we don't have a single quarterback in our top fifty, and we also have a, a question from Twitter. Uh, yes, a do you, Twitter do you want, question. Do you want to end on the the Twitter question or the the quarterback statement? Mm, let's go right into the quarterbacks. Okay. Keep it with the uh, the top fifty here for a second. Okay. Now, basically, if you look at our top fifty, you're going to notice some omissions notably the quarterback position is just completely left off and most top 50s will actually i think all top 50s will have a quarterback in them so you might be wondering what's going on bench dash why don't you have any quarterbacks in there you can't be legit but the reasoning is is that leo and i are both adamant about waiting until into the later rounds to draft a quarterback so I don't think there's a situation where we would draft a quarterback in the first four rounds. Even for me, even if Cam Newton was available in the fourth round, I'd think about it, but I don't think I'd actually draft a quarterback in the fourth round just because the positional scarcity isn't there. And you yeah. can easily find value, not maybe not Cam value, but you can find great value in the... 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th round at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. So that would allow you to bolster your running back, your wide receiver positions without wasting, not really wasting, but spending a round on drafting a quarterback that early. Yeah, the positional scarcity, the you know the drop-off from the top quarterback to the replacement level or like QB12 is much smaller than the drop-off from the top running back to running back 36. And it's, wait, it was 36, running back 30. Because you have 24 starters and then a flex, which ends up being like half running backs, half wide receivers. So, yeah. And that drop-off is much larger with running backs, so you have to try to take advantage of the higher-end running backs. Um, we actually had one of our fans on the Twitter, um, 
commented on the ranks and said, you know, if you were sitting there in the third round, which is where we have Jonathan Stewart ranked, and you had to decide between Jonathan Stewart and Aaron Rodgers, would you really take Jonathan Stewart? And it's like, yes, because, you know, I gave my, my quote of because he had these RB, you know, top three running back numbers over the the end of the season, and I believe he can continue that and blah, blah, blah. And then he came back with, well, yeah, but Aaron Rodgers produces better numbers than that. And it's like, yes, he does. You know, Aaron Rodgers gives you more fantasy points, like raw fantasy points, than Jonathan Stewart or a high-end running back does. But the advantage isn't there. It's not helping you as much as it is to have a running back that does that. Exactly, yeah. So where we touched on this in our draft strategies. And just quickly, we'll touch on it again. What is the earliest round that you would draft a quarterback? I think it probably is fifth round. You know, if this for some reason had been yeah. a top 60, I think we would see Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton at the end of these rankings somewhere. Because um, that's where the drop-off is really, like, that is the end of the tier of running backs that I want to sort of, like, build my team around. That's when you get into the receivers that are all dicey and kind of have these question marks. And that's the point where I'd say, okay, it's worth it to take a, take a quarterback who can really help my team. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at a situation where you're trying to decide between, uh, we'll just mention Jay Ajahi because we talked about him to open the show, and a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, and yeah, that's when you take the quarterback because the value is there in the the fifth, sixth round. But I just, I don't see it happening. I Every mock I've done, quarterbacks are going in the second and third round consistently, and I just I don't understand why, to be honest. I think it's just the some of it is the sort of armchair GM of treating it like you're managing a real football team, and uh, you get excited about the big name and oh, I could build my team around this you know franchise quarterback. It's like well, really, you aren't actually drafting this name; you're just drafting numbers. Like it's if fantasy didn't have names, if it was just you know blank jerseys with the numbers they produce, I think that this trend of quarterbacks going high would disappear a lot quicker i mean that's not the trend that's the standard but that would disappear and we'd see more of the sort of late round quarterback thing taking the front more because it just it just helps your team more and i think also there's just some of this psychology of it of it's comfortable to have a player that you can just plug and play you don't have to worry about um streaming at all because you know streaming a quarterback sounds really scary but if you wait and end up in that position it's actually like not at all challenging and you can still be just as competitive, potentially more competitive because of what you built in the early rounds with running back and wide receiver. Yeah, fully agree there. So basically to sum it up, that's the reason why we don't have a quarterback in our top 50. Yeah. Some people might blast the rankings for that fact alone. Just at a glance, oh, there's no Cam Newton, who was a top fantasy performer in 2015. Where's he? You know, where's Aaron Rodgers? Come on. Yeah, I can't take these rankings seriously. And it's just our opinion that even in the fourth round, at the end of the fourth round, the value just isn't there yet for even a top quarterback to draft. Because you still have running backs that are viable, running back twos. You still have wide receivers that can help fill out your roster that will help you much more than a quarterback at that stage of the draft. Because, I mean, right now we're seeing some insane values on quarterbacks in the later rounds. And I don't know if that will continue or if this, you know, 
this calling of drafting a quarterback in the late rounds will finally catch on because it's been around. It's been touted for a long period of time as being, I don't want to say common sense, but a lot of fantasy gurus have been Mm -hmm. talking about it for years. Like, okay, just wait, just wait to draft the quarterback. And it just hasn't really caught on yet. I mean, that's not to say that people don't wait. There are plenty of people out there that follow and and wait to the end rounds. But I'd see in in the course of like a season when you're in a 12-team league, there's always going to be a couple of teams that just go for it in the early rounds and draft a quarterback in the second or draft a quarterback in the third. They see the third round as being a steal when in reality it's not because I think it plays off of the whole name game that you were talking about. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is there in the third. Well, he's somebody to build my team around. I will just put him in the lineup, and then that position is done. I don't even have to touch it Mm -hmm. again. Yeah, it'll it'll hit the mainstream once, uh, like, Matthew Barry or some huge name at ESPN starts doing it. That's when it'll it'll take over. You mean Uh, at BenchStash.com? Yeah, when it's (laughs) BenchStash.com, blast it out into your faces. Um, Okay. So, <laughs> you're just going to stop that right there. <laughs> so it seemed uh, like you were picking up steam, like you're just about to go off, but then no, just cut I it think short. that's uh, that's not that's not to the one listener who's still here after an hour and thirteen minutes. Let's not. No, I um, think we're just going to splice that part and put it on Twitter. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. Yeah, so let's let's finish this up with our our Twitter question. Uh, we have a question from a nice young man uh, by the name of at. Garrett for real, um, solid name. Sounds like a sounds like a good boy. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. About He's this going places. Perhaps I, I would hope so. Uh, <laughs> so this is what he said. He said, "Hey at Benstash FF, you guys are the best pod slash Twitter in the world." That part Definitely might said be that. that might be ad libbed. No, it's there. Um, it's there for sure. Don't look. Don't don't look it up. But <laughs> it, he said it. Um, and then, okay, the question. <laughs> <laughs> Will your Brandon Marshall slash Eric Decker rankings go up, down, or stay the same if Ryan Fitzmagic Patrick resigns with the at New York Jets? Wow, that is actually a legitimate fantasy football question. It is, Garrett, it is. It's real. a good question. And I applaud you, sir, for asking such a question. And it's a valid question, really, because that has been the question of the Jets offseason whether or not they will sign Fitzgerald. And it's kind of added some murkiness to the whole offensive situation in New York, really. Uh, where should you draft Brandon Marshall? Where should you draft Eric Decker, who was putting up insane numbers last year? He was basically scoring a touchdown a game. So where would you draft these players without Ryan Fitzpatrick? So I think right now we're seeing an ADP, which is kind of uncertain. Like People are putting them at a certain ADP based on Maybe the assumption that Ryan Fitzpatrick gets signed, but I don't really know if I looking at my rankings, I don't really know if I'd change much to be honest if Ryan Fitzpatrick gets re-signed. I mean, I kind of assumed that he would from the get-go. Yeah. When I was making these rankings. I mean, I think it's more of the other way around. I think if Ryan Patrick doesn't get signed, will my rankings change in the opposite direction, which is more valid for me because I might move some of these players lower if they're dealing with Geno Smith as their quarterback. See, maybe we uh maybe we disagree on this a little bit because I I you know apparently have a memory longer than the past season. 
Um, which is like a, a, a bold thing for me to say after making my whole argument for Jonathan Stewart off of just this last season. Uh-huh. Um, Continue. But uh, is this going to be a pro Geno Smith? It's it's not so much a pro Geno Smith as it is a, a meh Ryan Fitzpatrick vote of he. I don't think he's very good. He sh- he had multiple seasons on multiple teams of not being very good, and he gets to the Jets and he plays good. And I don't think he just suddenly became a better quarterback after I don't know four years. Five years in the league, I don't know. Plenty of time to show that he wasn't anything that special, that he was like a perennial backup. Have you seen his Wonderlick score, though? Yeah, you know, he's, he's a very smart boy. I'm not, like, I'm not discouraging that. He's, he's got yeah. a good brain on him. Um, but it's, I, I kind of think that he produced well because Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker helped him do that. I think that is a situation of the receiving core made him better, and having a real running game behind Chris Ivory helped him. And that that offensive line, while not elite is like pretty decent in pass blocking i looked up the numbers and i don't have them in front of me right now and i have too many tabs to bother finding it solid but but i think they were like 12th or 13th in pass protection last season which is like okay so slightly above average slightly above average yeah like it's like enough that it's like okay his line isn't hurting him it's helping him a little bit he has brandon marshall who there's no reason to think he wouldn't still be elite like he was just he spent his last year in chicago hurt and then they were like ah forget it and let him I forget did they trade him to the Jets he went to the Jets um and then Eric Decker who I kind of think has always been a little underrated he's not a number one his his season in the Jets as the number one didn't really quite work out super well but as a number two I think he's like a a fantastic number two receiver so I think I think they helped Fitzpatrick get those numbers and I'm not saying Gino is good I wouldn't I would not make that sentence ever a thing I would say to then okay. say a sentence that doesn't That's make sense. That's good. That's good. No, I just think that it's. I think that that receiving core is good. Uh, that line is good. I think Matt Forte will keep that running game productive enough that it's you know they have to respect it. And so I think that Gino can come in and still produce enough. I don't think I would move them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't move Eric Decker honestly, because we already have him so much higher than his ADP. That yeah. I don't think I'd I don't think I'd have to. You know, we have him sixteen spots higher than his ADP. And even if I decide, ah, oh, you know what, I think I'd take him around later, that's still higher than his ADP. You know, so realistically I wasn't taking Decker to the fifth anyway. And so if that happened, it's just I'd be taking him closer to what what I actually think he's worth. Um Marshall, right now we have him as like a end of the second round, really. That's really where we have him sitting. I think with Gino there, he might come down like one or two spots. Like, I'm imagining if I was sitting there, I had the number one overall pick. I took uh, a boy, God Turdley, with the first pick. Came around the other way, and I'm sitting there, and I got my options are Brandon Marshall, uh, LaShawn McCoy, or I'm trying to pick out another receiver from these, like Brandon Cooks, or Amari Cooper, or like Keenan Mike Evans. Allen. Keenan Allen, yeah. Well, see, that's we already have all those guys higher than Marshall, yeah. so that doesn't count. Mike Evans. Mike Evans, who we have lower. So my options were like, let's even pick, like, Lacey. So I'm sitting there, and my options are Lacey, Mike Evans, or Brandon Marshall to pair with um, Talk my boy God Turdley. Yeah. Um, whereas with, with Fitz, I'd be like, yeah, I'd take Marshall, and it'd be like an easy no-brainer. I think in that situation, maybe I'd take Evans instead. You know, maybe I'd make that little swap. But, um... I still might not. I don't know. It's I, Marshall would have moved more than a spot or two for me, honestly, because I don't think 
when you look back at Geno's just just horrific time as a starter, his receivers were were nothing. His his number one receiver was God. What was his name? Do you remember his name? In um, twenty in twenty thirteen as his number one receiver. That might be a question for Google right now. Yeah, this is going to make it sound really, really on the ball. <laughs> well, right? yeah, this was a Twitter question. We didn't have this information. <laughs> so this isn't on us, okay? This is on this, this boy at Garrett for real. Who was it? 2013 before Marshall. Is it Jeremy Curley? Is that, was that his name? It's, I think so. Yeah, get on that. As we, as we furiously, as I furiously type this. To Google, but yeah, basically, you agree in that you wouldn't really change based off of the signing of Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're saying that you might just hold them where they are, even if he doesn't sign, which would be the only difference. I might move them down slightly, probably not a huge amount if Fitzpatrick doesn't sign. I actually already have Brandon Marshall a lot lower than you do, so yeah, I'm, I'm higher on Marshall. I already have I have Brandon Marshall as. 27th overall, which puts him in the third round, which is where I would find the value too good to pass on Brandon Marshall. But I would draft guys like Keenan Allen and Amari Cooper ahead of Brandon Allen. Brandon Cooks, I have him ranked ahead of Brandon Marshall, but that's more of a, it's a closer debate for me there. That's just me thinking that Brandon Cooks is going to go off this year. Right. So I would pro- I would probably take Brandon Cooks ahead of Brandon Marshall still. Yeah. So yeah, I don't really see even if Geno Smith is the starting quarterback in week 1. Let's see, who do I have right behind Brandon Marshall? I have Demarius Targaryen, TY Hilton, Julian Edelman and Sammy Watkins all in that range. I might drop Brandon Marshall behind somebody like TY Hilton. You fool. You fucking fool. <laughs> Just because I think he's going to explode <laughs> this year. Sure. With vintage Andrew Luck back in the pocket. In the hot sure. pocket. In the hot, yep. Okay, good analysis. The hot pocket. There it is. Pizza flavored. <laughs> hot pocket. It was, it was Jeremy Curley, by the way. To, Got to it. Inter- to, yeah, it was Jeremy Curley and like David Nelson were like his, his, his re- receiving pair in 2013. And then he got... Eric Decker in 2014, but you know Eric Decker is not—he's not a number one wide receiver. And then they had like shades of Percy Harvin for a minute, but you know he—he he sucks. Um, and so like I, you know I—I'm not a Geno truther by any means, but I am like a a Geno defender of you know he was not put in a situation to perform well, and Fitzmagic was put in a very favorable situation. You know I I think he. He, it gets treated like he stepped in and made that offense better. I think it is more about the pieces around him allowed a, a replacement-level quarterback to play well. Now, is Geno replacement-level? I don't know, but I think he could be. <laughs> so it sounds like what you're saying is that because he was in a poor situation, he performed poorly, but if he gets put in this amazing situation of having Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker... Geno Smith will be a QB1 from the mouth of Leo Calisi. Not a QB1, the QB1. Oh, the QB1. <laughs> there it is. There's, there's a Boom. hot stake. Hot stakes. Um, <laughs> Start although, things off. 
Although, but like actually though, like for 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 actually though, uh, if it is Geno Smith, he, I think he becomes like a viable streamer. I think that he can absolutely be used when it's against like a matchup like based. His, yeah, yeah matchup based. I think like like why not? He even showed with that those awful receiving weapons, he could have good games. He was like almost a viable streamer then. So given yeah, this, this I can good get offense, behind that. I think he totally could be good. I'm right again. All right. So but I guess <laughs> to sum up the answer to this Twitter question, <laughs> would our chanking or what chankings? What am I saying? Would chankings. our rank <laughs> would our rankings change? Whew. Okay. Gain your composure, Charles. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to say no. That's going to no. be my answer. Yeah. They would not change. They would not change whatsoever. So question answered. Boom. Boom. Still got Boom. it. Boom. Still got it. All right. Let's. That's uh, the only question. Yeah, but hey, you know what? It's better than Than the none question, so we'll take it. We'll take the question. And I think uh, we are running a little bit long. We are. We are. As per usual. This is a a fierce pod. But you know what? We had 50 people to talk about. We talked about like five of them, but still, you know. Yeah, so if we would have talked about all 50, we'd be sitting at like six hours now. God. God help us all. But we should probably just cut it now. Just well, let's wrap it up. Uh, we will be back probably next week sometime with a with a, a video podcast of us oh, doing snap. doing mock draft, a mock draft on fantasy football calculator is where we will do it. Just because, um, we'll, because we we'll can, both, and that's because what we're we can. Do. Uh, we'll we'll do the whole mock draft. We'll comment on it as we go. Uh, we'll probably be following our rankings closely for the first. Three or four rounds, but then after that, we'll just be in the goddamn wind, just picking guys, <laughs> picking guys left and right. Who knows who we're picking? And you'll get to see how uh, your boys at Bench Dash do it when put in that situation. The inner workings of our draft minds. Yeah. Basically, live and in the yeah. wild. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. All well, right. let's cut this thing off. You can find us on Twitter, shameless plug time. At Bench-FF. And that's pretty much it for now. We also have a Facebook, Bench-FF. It's also Bench-FF. I've like put F-F. nothing on it, though. Like, it exists, but there, I've done nothing with it. So, it's there. Yeah. Um, Twitter's the place to go. Twitter's to, the place to be, yes. Follow us if you're not already following us. Yeah. Listen if you're not already listening. And we will see you next time. Totally. Are we still are we still on? Is it still live? No.